Howdy folks, Jamie here and welcome to another awesome episode of the Trainer Mind podcast. Really excited for this episode because I've got a good friend of mine to drop some knowledge bombs today and it is Mr. Rob Moore. For those of you who don't know who Rob is, Rob is a podcaster, he's an author, he's written over 15 books, he's a property investor, he runs multiple businesses, has hundreds of staff and probably knows a thing or two about procrastination and productivity but not just that that's not just what inspires me about Rob. Rob went from a struggling artist £50,000 in debt to becoming a multi-millionaire in his early 30s. There's lots of wisdom in this next special hour episode and I really hope you get a lot of knowledge bombs from it. So without further ado let's get into the episode. Ladies and gents, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today, Mr. Rob Moore. Rob, how are you? Good, thank you, Jay. All good. Good, good. I want to get straight talking into our first subject, and I think it's an important one, both for, for, for people and businesses, and especially, I think, during this, uh, this silly season, I, I'm, I'm going to call it. Um, I, I ha- I've been going from pandemic period to now to silly season, and I think the question I want to ask first is, why do you think people struggle so much to post and be consistent on social media? Um, I think there's lots of reasons and it depends on the individual. So let me list some I've seen. One is they don't see why it benefits them. You and I were talking before we went live about all these new premium features we've been enjoying. You were one of the first guys to get the supporters. I wasn't far after. Uh, I was one of the first 20. You were one of the first to get stars. We've now got Facebook paid events. That's nice now. But if you think you've got to do videos every day for years for free, for, for why? For what? What's the point? What, what's the return on time invested? So I think a lot of people can't see that. You know, like when you plant a seed, you don't see the roots growing. So it's hard to have faith that you're going to get your tree. So I think that's another reason. I think some people want to be too perfect before they start. I wrote a book called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. I love following your stuff, Jay. And I see, you know, you do, you just do stuff out and about. You're on the beach, you're walking around, you're like, the, the camera's going like this. Yeah, and, and I'm the same. I'll just do it anyway. I'll do it on my live walks. So I'll, I'll have the hoodie on because I don't know how to style my hair yet because I've now got hair. Um, <laughs> and I'll have the hoodie on and I'll be walking out and about. And I think too many people want to get too perfect with their content instead of having an experimental mindset or a testing mindset. So I think that's maybe the third reason. I think the fourth reason is they fear getting judged, criticized, ridiculed, you know, that people won't like them or their content or that they want to sort of please all of the people all of the time, which you all know, especially in your industry, you can not do that. You can not please all the people all of the time. Um, maybe the fifth reason is they don't really know the features yet. They don't know how to use the platform. They haven't take, taken time to figure out Creator Studio, analytics, how it all works, etc. So, I mean, look, there could be 50 reasons. There's maybe the top five I've seen. Yeah, and something I keep saying is, is embrace difficulties. And like, if something's hard to do, it's good to do. Um, and I've learned that a lot is if I'm struggling with something, it means that other people are going to be struggling as well. So if I become good at that thing, um, I'm going to win the game. And it's usually when something is incredibly easy that so many people do it. And then you're just, you know, it's very hard to stick out when something's very easy to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, the harder something is to do, the more unlikely it is anyone else is going to do it. Therefore, when you get it done, you are going to be more unique by default. Yeah. And, um, and I think, as you said, with uh, planting a tree, I always say uh, it's an it's a, it's a old, uh, old Chinese proverb, but I say be like bamboo. And the reason being is that to, to plant bamboo, it takes about three years, four years to grow and sprout out the ground. But the reason that it's taken so long is it takes a long time to build a solid foundation. And I think with anything, when it comes to your fitness, when it comes to your business, um, and when it comes to any kind of success, it takes many years to build that solid foundation first. And, and you don't see that grow when you build that foundation. No. And if you have faith that you'll get there in the end, because just staying in the game long enough, you know, you said about if it's hard, it's good. 
because it's hard for everyone else. Also, if you stay in it for long enough, you'll by default um, be one of the few left just by being in it long enough as well. Um, and because everyone else would have given up. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is faith, faith that it will happen for you, faith that you're good enough or you can work it out to get better at the thing. Like you said, whether it's working out, because, you know, to get, you know, a physique like yours, Jay, you'll know it's, it takes decades. Um, and just faith to also to carry on doing the boring. I love property. And um, le- I reckon a good year for the, a normal person might be buying between two and five properties. Like, you know, let's say you got into property, Jay, in your first year. And, and, and I helped you out a bit. And you got five properties, investments in your first year. You're like, that's, that's good. That's a good result. Well, what that means is on five of the 365 days in the year, you bought a property. On 360 of the 365 days of the year, you bought no property. Yet it was a great year. So just, you know, people find it hard to be bored. They find it hard to just go through the routine and the motions. But a lot of it is about sitting on your hands. Investing, for example. Warren Buffett invests in very few companies. You know, like he might make two or three investments a year. But he's reading annual reports and he's reading prospectuses for five hours a day. So for how many days of the year is he sitting on his hands not investing his money? So his wise decisions are what he doesn't invest in as well as what he does, which is like, what's, you know, what, what distractions are you not doing? You know, what tasks are you not doing? What, what opportunities are you not taking so that you don't get overwhelmed so you can focus on what you are doing? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you said it. It's, it's boring and repetitive. Someone actually reached out uh, a month ago and said, oh, I'd really like to... Um, arrange like a week where I follow you around and I and I was like you'd probably fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because but, you know I go, get up in the morning go for a walk and do a seed it but apart from that <laughs> it's not very exciting everyone being on it because it is boring and repetitive and it's the same with fitness you know people want it want it to be all glamorous and exciting but it's just doing r- repetition after repetition of pretty much the same four or five movements with a little bit of alternatives, but it's just being consistent and, and, and enjoying the process as you go along. So I think that can be transitioned into anything, especially social media, mm. um, because it takes a long time to get that feedback. And I think a lot of people aren't willing to be consistent unless they see immediate returns. And this is the same with social media, the same with fitness, the same with, with yeah. business as well. Patience. So, uh, what yeah. happened to patience? We're all impatient. And, Impatience is good. You know, I think speed is really important in business. You've got to be quicker than your competitors. But, you know, it takes time. And, yeah, people are impatient, which means that um, they get distracted or they give up. Uh, and they will probably, you know, there's no point planting a seed, getting the roots grown and giving up on that seed, planting another seed, giving, you know, getting the roots down and then giving up on that seed you know, the, the tree grows at the speed that the tree grows. You can look at the tree going, will you fucking hurry up and grow? You're pissing me off. Hurry the fuck up. I've got, I've got work to do. Hurry up. You can shout at that tree all you want. It's not going to grow any quicker. Yeah. So be, I think it was it be impatiently patient. I think was, yes. <laughs> was the word that somebody said, um, yeah. I want to go through a list of things that you've, you've done, Rob, and I'll, this is probably 10% of it, but um, you've written over 17 books. I, I believe I heard you say you're on your 18th and 19th, which you're, you're writing. Double world record holder, which I'm only a single world record holder. Um, run multiple podcasts, multiple businesses. You're a dad. I'm sure I missed hundreds of things off here, but I think you're a good person to talk to when it comes to productivity. Um, because uh, just, just that massive list. Um, I'd say kind of makes you an expert of getting things done. So could you give anybody some tips on productivity, the things that you do and probably the things that you don't do? Yeah. So I said before, I think speed is important in the modern business and whether that's leveraging things like the internet and outsourcers and apps and systems and software where you can get things done more quickly whether that's building a team, so it's not just the task that you're getting done, but the task that your team do for you so you can get more done and you essentially uh, you steer the ship. So I think speed is important and I think you can work quicker and with that um, start now, get perfect later mentality. But 
the you know i've ticked all those so double world records two podcasts you know various training businesses all the things that you, that you've listed there hundreds of properties and all of that kind of stuff but in reality the way that i've ticked each one of those off the list is to sit down and get done one task that's in front of me without getting distracted by a load of others so i've got um i'm i'm currently writing 17 18 and 19 book at the moment they're all in different stages 17 it just needs my one final edit and then it's done it's called opportunity and the only way i can do that edit is to sit down and read all the pages and make all the edits and if i think about oh you know, i've got the podcast with jay this afternoon and oh, i've got this going on this evening and oh, i've got all these other if i allow them to enter my mind then i'm distracted and if the whatsapp notifications are on and you know everything else so really being productive is about Isolating yourself from distractions and singular focus on a single task, uh, like planting one seed and allowing that to grow the roots and the shoots and the fruits and then the next seed. And I wrote a book called Life Leverage because I do think you can leverage and outsource and you can multitask in certain areas. Like you can go on your walks and listen to a podcast, Jay, or you can go on your yeah. walks and do a live. You can't multitask writing a book. You can't multitask really important, deep work projects, which are really meaningful. So it's just about what have I got to do right now without distraction? Now, distraction, I think, is one of the big cancers of progress. And there's distraction of environment. So, for example, um, oh my, um, all, all the sort of the glass doors here. I can sort of hear the kids a bit playing Fortnite. Um, and, and if they're any louder, that's going to distract me, which means I'm not going to be as present for this. Let's say the WhatsApp notification comes up. So the environment where I am. So do you have a good conducive work environment, whether that's the beach or an office with no distraction, then internet and devices and distractions are, are, are all the, those away. And then the other main distraction is the noise and of your own mind. Now, I have recently started to come off Facebook and WhatsApp. I, I used to spend a lot of time on them. And the justification was, well, I run all my businesses from my phone and from these social media platforms. And I did, Jay, and I still do. But I mean, honestly, someone should sit down with nothing else to do, just to sit there with a little post-it note to your left and the phone to your right. And just sit there for 15 minutes and count how many times you get a, a dopamine urge to check your phone, dopamine urge, check your phone, check your phone, check your phone, check your phone, check your phone. Because uh, I bet for some people it's a dozen or a hundred times in 15 minutes because these apps and devices have been designed to get us addicted. And the way the world is with all the social media and all the ads fed into us and this single scroll feed and they're all designed to keep us on. And we get these little reward, um, you know, hits and triggers and emotions. Um, and I guess I was in denial that that had happened to me in that I knew I was addicted to work. I knew I was addicted to social media and all that, but because it was work and work was really good. And, you know, we did 20 million a year in our two training businesses and we've got all of our other ventures online. I guess I justified to my, well, I'm not wasting my time, you know, and I'm not doing like random stuff and I'm not just scrolling and it's not for social, it's for business. But then I actually thought, you know, no, I'm a slave to these. Um, and so a few weeks ago, I started coming way off them. Um, and honestly, mate, it was like, I, I don't know what it's like to be on crack cocaine and then come off it or to be on heroin and come off it. But my body was screaming. It, um, you'll know this because obviously you're big into the gym. But um, I used to, when I used to train a lot more than I do now, I used to take this pre-workout called NO Explode. <laughs> yeah. uh, mate, version one of that would be so illegal now it's not even funny yeah i did, um, I did a post i did a post about this it was uh for, for me i was saying everyone it's called jack 3d uh, and yeah, uh, like and, and and the posts <laughs> that i got so like some of them were brilliant it says when you're halfway down the motorway and you realize you forgot your car <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean i i was on that for probably six to nine months and of course my training was amazing and i was stronger and more you know like energized than ever but it it was became such an addiction i, I know when i'm addicted to something and the reason i know i'm addicted to something is because obviously i feel the dependence on it but i start having the inner dialogue 
I know I'm addicted to this, oh, but I need it. Yeah, but I'm addicted to this. I've got to come off it, but no, but I need it. Mate, it took me six months to come off a pre-workout drink. And I started creeping down at six in the morning. This was years and years ago. And because and I, I said to my um, wife, I said, I'm getting addicted to this. I've got to come off it. She's <laughs> like, yeah, I think you have. And I couldn't. And I, I started taking it in secret, like behind her back and coming down at five in the morning and taking it because I was so addicted to it. Um, and, and that was really hard. And that, it's that times five trying to come off social media and WhatsApp. And I'm counting hundreds of times a day where my brain is going, check your phone, check your phone, check your phone. So I know this, I've sort of diver, diverted a bit away, but to do productive, meaningful and deep work, you've got to get rid of all those distractions. But we're so addicted to these devices because they've been designed that way that it's harder than ever. Like writing a book's hard enough, but writing a book overcoming 732 chemical urges a day to check them is even harder. So I've bit the bullet in the last few weeks and really come back off them. And it's been hard, but um, it's good because I'm becoming less um, reliant, dependent and controlled by apps and devices. What I think is good about that, Rob, and this is what I say to a lot of people, is that they, like, they'll see the list of things that you've done, but also they now realize, and it's the same with me, that you're, you're just as distracted as anybody else, and you realize the problems that you, you have with it. And it's the same with me. You know, I have a very addictive personality. When I was a kid, I used to play these games, like, you know, like Simon says, light games, but I'd spend eight hours a day doing it till I'd complete it on yeah. every single level. Um, when I got back from Iraq um, in 2008, I had Guitar Hero and I complete, it took me three weeks of playing 14 hour days and I completed it by one song on Expert. And I just commit 100% to things. And that can be a good thing when it comes to business and marketing to a certain extent. That can be a very bad thing when it's something that could be addictive. Such, yeah. I mean, because I, I know you're not a big drinker and, it, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say, I'm a big drinker, but I have to really watch that because a lot of tendencies are there. And the yeah. same, you know, this year I swapped my phone as my alarm for a bedside alarm but, and leave my phone downstairs. And I was noticing when I get up in the, you know, just before bed, I'd check it. Two o'clock in the morning, I'd turn over and quickly check something. And yeah. it was just kind of checking yourself before you wreck yourself with it. Um, and I have to go, I can't, like I always say to a lot of clients, you either reduce or remove. I'm not a reducer. I have to remove it completely, you know. And uh, I think it's just understanding your own distractions and, and the fact that in order to get stuff done, sometimes you have to go to extremes to get them done. Yeah, 100%. And I'm like you, Jay. I'm an all or nothing guy. I'm an obsessive and an addictive. And that's okay. It's okay to admit that to yourself. Um, God, if I was a drinker coming off all these social media apps, I'd be in a lot of trouble. So, it's a good <laughs> I'm not a so um, now I've got coffee left. Because um, I, I got really addicted to work. When you start saying things like, um, you know, I'm working all of these hours because I'm trying to build something meaningful, I'm trying to do it for my family or whatever. Um, you have to be careful with the shoulds and the musts and the have tos. I think you should be doing things because you choose, not because you feel that you have to. Um, but, you know, I always used to think when people said, oh, you know, workaholic, whatever. But workaholism is a thing. And I was using work to distract myself from, I don't know, maybe my pains and problems in my personal life or as an, a convenient excuse to stay busy so that I didn't have to be bored. I remember one time and I'm like, I, I just want you to know, I think these conversations are great, Jay. And I always endeavor to be as honest as possible and obviously shared some of my addictions and challenges. And like you said, it's good to know someone who's written 19 books gets distracted, which proves that you can deal with all this shit. And just because people are successful doesn't mean they don't have to deal with this shit. But I'm going to tell you something which I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I'm going to tell you because it was a bit of a, a light bulb moment for me. And I hope I'm not the only in the world that's thought this, but I was playing um, a game with my daughter. So my daughter is like the, 
the greatest light in my life at the moment. She's just everything that's fun and funny in my life comes from my daughter. She's five years old. Um, and I was, there's a, a, this little game called bug a loop it's called. And it's this little bug and it goes around this loop and you shake the dice and she's sitting there shaking the dice like this. And I'm thinking in my head, will you fucking hurry up? Because I've got work to do. I need to get this game out of the way so I can go and get some work done. And in my head, I was like, I can't believe I'm saying that. I'm thinking to my, that my daughter should hurry up and roll the dice instead of just loving being there with my daughter. Here's the thing. There, there is not more work that needs to be done. And I don't need to work more hours. So in the last month, I've made a lot of changes in my life, like coming off WhatsApp you know, a lot more and coming off Facebook a lot more and spending way more time with my kids. And I'll get done in three hours what I get done in seven hours without distraction. So I work usually from about five in the morning till 8.30 in the morning. Then I do live videos, have a couple of meetings. I do two, three hour walks a bit like yourself, Jay. I don't need to do any more work. You, two or three really good hours with no distraction is the same as eight hours with a load of task jumping and a load of distraction. So, something that I, a quote I heard this year, just this year that really made a change to me uh, and it did make me disagree, literally, for the first few minutes. Um, and it was, if you can't build a business in five days, working seven won't help. And it took me a while to ponder that. I was like, well, of course it does. It's an extra two days of work. But I thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, I think it's Parkinson's law. A task will, t will take as long as the time in which you give it. So yeah. if you give yourself less time to do things, you have to be more strategic and more structured. And right. actually, it's a realization that, what, where I want to go in my business and what I want to do is that I want to work four days a week, you know, and if I give my, if I say to myself and, and, and my, um, you know, everyone that's all, all my clients and customers that I work Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Fridays only, um, then I need to get everything done within those times. But I know that if I have a Thursday off and, and I have, you know, three out of four weekends off from work, I'm going to be at my best. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just, and I know for a fact that if I just take those few days away where I won't just do a little bit on a Saturday or just do a few lives on a Sunday or, you know, I'm, I'm meant to be on a phone swap on Thursday, but you know, I just, I'll just do a quick live and be that no, then everything needs to be done within those days. And that, that's kind of my own commitment to it and challenge to myself. And I think for, for me, I have to let everybody know, um, one of the biggest detoxes for me, um, I think it was 2017 cause I had a massive, you know, I had a massive meltdown from social media business to lot. And I went away with my wife for a week without my mobile phone. And that was one of the scariest and most amazing times ever. Um, because I told my entire audience that I'm not going to be on socials for a week. I even said to them that I'm not even going to post for a week either just to, you know, to, to show. Uh, and, and one of the biggest things that I learned from that is that I came back switched my phone on and I caught up the world in 15 minutes and actually my my content my following went through the roof when I came back and it just justified to me that you don't need to be on all of the time mm. yeah and, and they, they, these apps and algorithms make you addicted to be on all the time and you tell yourself you can't take a break because you feel like you're going to lose out to your competitors or miss out on something but these are all traps of your mind the great thing about the world we're in right now, Jay, is I think you can design whatever you want. So what I'm trying to do right now is work three hours a day um, and, and weekends, maybe two. But I like working weekends, but I like working at five in the morning. I work at five in the morning, six, seven in the morning. You know, my kids aren't up at five in the morning. And it just makes me feel like because what I don't like to do, Jay, this is a personal thing. And you four days a week. Great. Whatever you want to work, you, you want to work. And um, I'm not here preaching. But I don't like having three days off and then coming back to a massive inbox and a load yeah. of work. I'd rather it just, so I'd like to do two or three hours a day and then have, you know, the, 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 the day from 10, 11 for the rest of the day off than, you know, go away for a week and have a massive of incoming. Um, but that thing with Parkinson's law of time, the more time you spend working, the more you do operational tasks. The less time you spend more working, the more you have to do strategic tasks and the more you have to outsource operational tasks because you don't have time to do them. 
So if you ran out of time, you'd be like, oh shit, I've run out of time. Oh, better, you better go and do that then, and you better go and do that then, because you've run out of time. So I just, that's why if you, like you said, you'll, you'll get a job done in three hours or you'll get a job done in a week. I was at university and we all left our projects to the last day or the last week. And I remember doing 50 something hours straight, two all nighters in a row. And I got my whole entire last year project done basically in, you know, three days and two nights. And I had a whole year to do it. So I think you can design the life you want. And if it's working a bit every day, or three days on, four days off, or two days in this business, two days in this business, and a three-day weekend, or whatever, I think you can design it. Um, I, had a, I have a system in my book, Life Leverage, which is called Leverage Manage Do. So it's a, a, a little bit of a reinvention of the to-do list. So when most people write a to-do list, they think, what have I got to do? Um, whereas what I will say is, who can I get to do it? So let's say I've got a to-do list. The first thing I'm going to do is, oh, Jay can do that, and Jay can do that, and Jay can do that, instead of me doing it. You know, your outsourcer, your PA, your VA, your social media manager. So the first thing you should do in any set of to-do lists is think, what can I leverage out? What can I outsource? That's the leverage part. And let's say you've got 10 things on your to-do list. Well, five of them you might be able to delegate or outsource. Then the manage part is, okay, what, what is going on right now that I need to check in with Jay on, that I asked him to do a few days ago, just need to check how he's going on so that project gets through to completion. I'll check in with you, send a voice memo to someone else, how's that project coming, deadline's coming in two days, and that might cover you know, two or three of those tasks, and then you do your tasks. And you might only have three out of 10 left. But also, if every morning really early, you're doing your outsourcing, then by the time everyone starts work, They've got their jobs to do for you. So you've set them off for a day. But what most people do is go, oh, I'm really busy. I've got all this stuff to do. And they wake up, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, oh shit, I was supposed to give that job for Jay to do. But Jay's been waiting all day because he's like, where's my job to do? So we've, the problem is in the generation like our parents, we're similar. You're what, in mid-30s, Jay? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 41. So sim we're pretty much the same generation. Our parents only knew how to work hard. There was no leverage. There was no internet. There was no outsourcing. It was hustle and graft. Um, and that needs to be retrained. Now, people who are in their 20s, they're probably a bit better at that. I wrote a story in my book, Life Leverage, of a guy who got fired from his IT job because he outsourced a whole job and then just sat at his desk doing nothing. And he got fired for it. He should be rewarded for that. So... Yeah, you can design your own life however you want. You've got to embrace outsourcing, leverage. You've got to let go. So many people yeah. are like, oh, well, they're not doing this task very well. They're not doing it like I would. They're, they're a control freak. Yeah, and I think that's been one of my biggest things is, is being able to delegate and trust other people. And, and I think it, it was a realization of no wonder they're not doing it as good as me because you're babysitting them or they haven't made the mistakes that you've made to be able to be as good as you are at it. So because yeah. you're not allowing them to make the same mistakes that you did. Exactly. And, and your ego just wants to keep them not quite as good as you. Because imagine if you give them a job and they do it better than you, how are you going to feel? Well, you should be proud of that. But naturally your ego goes, oh, and so unconsciously you just suppress them a little bit. And yeah, you're never going to grow. So, you know, finding great people and, and giving them the support and the leadership to flourish, to be even better than you at, at your job. I mean, yeah. if, if you had 50 or 100, I have 95 staff. And on five staff, you could probably get to a million quid. Maybe, maybe two, I don't know. That might be a bit of a push. But with 100 staff, you can get to 10 million quid, 20 million quid, 50 million quid. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I think it, as, you know, as I grow as a business, it's, it's, it's willing to know that, know what I want to do and what other people need to do. And I think tasking people has always been one of my biggest struggles um but as soon as i do it i'm like oh, why haven't i done this before yeah because <laughs> yeah. like, oh, you try and do everything yourself <laughs> you do and you know what i still have that epiphany jay and normally what happens is i get to the end where i've got no time left or i'm just so overwhelmed and then the end i go oh, for fuck's sake all right you go and fucking do that and you go and fucking do that and, and then and I just say, well, why didn't I do that at the start? <laughs> I'm doing it now because I'm desperate, but I could have done it when I was strategic. Um, yeah, yeah the, the, the psychology of outsourcing, I, I think is quite interesting because, you know, you have to let go to grow, um, but people find it hard to let go. Why do they find it hard to let go? Because 
Um, they feel that other people won't do the job as well as them, even though they could do the job better than them. Um, and weirdly, they, they want to grow, but they don't want to let go of ownership of something. Um, it's, the, it's the great entrepreneurial paradox. Yeah, and I think, son, I think, I think I say it to a lot of people, what got you where you are today won't get you where you want to be tomorrow. Mm. Um, and it's what, what got most entrepreneurs where they are today is, is hard work and doing everything for themselves. And that thing that got you there now has to be the, the complete opposite to get to the next level. So you're yeah. kind of undoing all the traits and habits that made you a good business person. Yeah. Yeah, because you work hard to get your business off the ground, but then you have to go from operational to strategic. And so that feeling of, it's weird because you'll know when, you, when you've gone a bit strategic, when you get to the end of the day and you think, I didn't really do fuck all today. <laughs> I feel like a bit of a fraud because my guys are working hard for me and I'm just telling them what to do and reading stuff. This doesn't seem real. It's not a hard day's work. Um, yeah. you, know, there's, you know, there's that meme that's going around. It's quite a good one. But you know, they've got the statue of the thinker, but then they've got the doer and the doer has run off. <laughs> yeah. um, but making out that the doer is better than the thinker. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. When you are at 10 million, 100 million, a billion, the thinker is way more important than the doer because I can have a, I can have a 10 million pound idea. Now I'm not going to have a 10 million pound idea doing tasks for 15 hours a day. So balancing doing with thinking Steve jobs famous used to go on these long walks and have these conversations with people. And are you having enough time to think, to come up with ideas um, to be creative, to be innovative? Cause you're never going to be have great ideas, be creative and innovative when you're busy in tactical tasks. Never. Yeah, one thing that always intrigued me, I don't know if you've seen the Bill Gates documentary on Netflix about him with his own little hut in the yeah. woods where he takes his books and goes. And, he, and they said even in the peak of Microsoft, he used to do that still. Like take yeah. a two weeks off just to, just to think. Mm. Which, yeah, yeah. And the way I think of it, well, if Bill Gates can do it, then, yeah. then J- Jamie, the, uh, the personal trainer from Bogner, can do it too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, um, Robin, talk about sunk cost fallacy. And it's something that I see with a lot of people. And basically, for those who don't know sunk cost fallacy, it's not willing to pivot and change into things because you've invested either time or money into something. But, you know, continuing to do that ends up you losing more money, very much like roulette. You know, if someone loses a thousand pound, they'll put another five thousand pound to try and get back the thousand pound and then they're six thousand pound down. I see that with a lot of businesses where people who have been in a job that they hate for 10 years are too afraid to leave because they've been in it for 10 years and that's all they know. So how do you know well, when the best time to pivot in something and how would somebody go about doing that? Mm. So I think the first thing is to understand that anything you've invested in yourself to get you where you are is not wasted even if you change direction. Um, so, you know, if, you, um, if you're in a property project and you're halfway in and you've got to exit, that's better than putting double the money in and losing even more money. Why would you not be able to walk away from a deal or change your career because you feel the sunk cost fallacy that the money in would be wasted? So you have to shift that thinking and go, okay, if I made a mistake and the property project didn't go very well, I can't lose more money. I'll, I'll use that as my education. My business partner, Mark, he calls it your entrance fee. So oh, yeah, wow. when, you go to, when you go to school, he, go, he went to private school and there's an entrance fee. And your entrance fee in property and business is mistakes, lost money, you know, broken partnerships, legal cases, you name it, reputationally. It's, it's, these are all your entrance fee. So if you see what you've done, as transmutable experience that you can carry forward and not as wasted that you have to chase, then there will be no such thing as the sunk cost fallacy. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I think you've got to understand um, how to make good decisions. Um, And I think this is not easy because I think that the more experience you get in business, the more intuition you get about decision-making, like hiring if people are good or not. You're not going to know that within the first couple of years. Um, but when you've been hiring people for 20 years, you'll get a good intuition. Intuition is the, the, com- the carbon-dated, compounded experience of decades. If I can give anyone any tips on getting better at making decisions in the early years or when you haven't got decades of experience, it would be don't make them when you're emotional. 
So, um, and that can be high as well as low. I've bought 300,000 pound cars when I'm high. I've crashed 200,000 pound cars when I'm high. Um, and we, when you're overexcited, you're not careful enough. And then, you know, when you're, when you're overly deflated, then you're maybe a bit skeptical or a bit fear driven. So get yourself in a balanced emotional state and then make your decisions on, you know, do I continue to invest in this project that's gone wrong? Do I carry on doing this degree when I'm not sure that it's right for me? Do I carry on in this career because I've worked hard for 15 years to get to this level and now I'll have to start again? I think the next thing is wise counsel. And this might actually be the most important of all. Speaking to really good mentors, experienced business owners, experienced peers, you know, people around you who understand you and know what's right for you and want you to win and don't have an ulterior motive to telling you something because they want you to fail. The people around you, it's really important. So a really good mastermind group, for example. So I think those three or four things will help you avoid sunk cost fallacy and, and train you to get better at making decisions. And then look back over your really good decisions and go, hmm, how and why and when did I make that? And then look back over your really bad decisions and go, how and when and why did I make that? And I reckon 90% of the time when you make bad decisions, it's because you were emotional, really emotional. Yeah, and, and I, love, I, I love that uh, entrance fee. That, that, that's basically, you know, I very much have these kind of brain heuristics where, you know, if I, if, if I call it, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're able to name it, you're able to understand it better. Very much like going to the doctor scared that you've got something and then they name it and then you feel better. Yeah. So having that going, well, that was just my education, you know, my entrance fee. Um, yeah. It's great because it was like, cool, that's cool. That was an expensive entrance fee, but I was glad, <laughs> that, it, it was, I was glad that it happened. Yeah. <laughs> so something that I did a, um, a live stream last week, Rob, and I asked people what the first thing that came into their heads when they thought the word sales and the words were um, pushy, um, used car salesman, uh, bollocks was one of them. Um, you know, they were all negative words. And I think it's the same when it comes to the word money. And I know you've written an incredible book on money. So why do you think people's thoughts on money and sales is so negative? Okay, so when you said that, the first word that came into my mind was opportunity. Yeah. So that, I just thought that'd be interesting to, to give you feedback. It took me about half a second and then opportunity came to my head. It might be because I'm writing my book called Opportunity right now, so there might be something in there, but that was just interesting that that came out for me and that might be useful for people to know. Okay, so I think, look, most of us, most people who follow me and you, Jay, are British or from Britain. And, you know, our culture is very much, you know, to work hard and to be discreet and to not talk about money and not talk about how much you earn. And it's kind of grotesque and flashy and cocky. Whereas in America, you're, what you're worth is celebrated. So I think there's cultural things that are at play that make us have a bad association with sales and money. Then I think there's environmental things. How were you raised? You know, what did your parents teach you about money what was their relationship to money um, and if they found money always a struggle and if they always felt that there wasn't enough and you know they say things to you like money doesn't grow on trees and you know don't be wasteful and all of these things and you never really got any reward then that might be um, manifesting your mindset around money and look you can't help how you were raised in the environment that you were in but you can change what you put in your head now I think that some people associate money with greed, with power and being power hungry. You know, I mean, a lot of the music I'm into, Rage Against the Machine and a lot of that rock kind of stuff, you know, that's very anti-capitalist, so almost socialist. Um, so, you know, what, what political stance have you had? Um, so especially if you're, you know, labor or very left, then, you know, you've got some unwiring to do there. I think this is all about education. So what I endeavored to do in my book, Money, is just to tell people what money is and what money is not. Money is not greed. Money is not power. 
Money is not freedom. Money is not good. Money is not bad. Money is amoral, asexual. It does not judge. It does not have an opinion. It's not emotional. It's none of those things. Human beings are all those things. What money is, is a universal exchange of value. Um, it's a unit of account. It's a, a measure of worth. That's ultimately what money is. Uh, and billionaires and the, the wealthiest people in history have transcended their emotions and people's emotions of money to understand what money really is. It's a, an, a, a transfer of energy. It's a store of value. You know, I, um, I create something valuable. Let's say it's um, a, a course on podcasting. You want to learn podcasting. So my store of value in this podcasting course, I'm measuring at 500 quid. You're thinking, yeah, um, my personal training that I store, create to store my value in, in, in 500 quid, 500 quid's worth of personal training, that's worth exchanging for 500 quid's worth of podcast courses. So all the money does is store the value that you create and the value that I create and exchange it. It's not good, it's not bad, it's nothing. So if people can transcend upbringing, environment, culture, um, projection of others, our peer group, our circle, the media that we've you know, consumed, and actually learn what money is and isn't, then you will transcend all the pains and problems of money and you'll go from having a bad relationship with money to a love affair with money. Um, money is a transfer of energy, a unit of account, and an exchange of value that is universally agreed. That's all it is. Everything else is what a human being projects onto money. And then when you understand that, you understand how to attract more of it. Yeah, and, and I think uh, a lot of people need to understand that. Um, and I love the fact that someone said, I've forgotten who it said, but they said that money makes you more of who you are. So. The more that, you know, if you were a bad person and poor, then you're going to be an, uh, an even worse person rich. And if you're a good person, poor, you'd be an even better person uh, rich. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know if I read that somewhere or, I mean, I know it's in my book. I can't remember the source. It would have been a mentor of mine. But yeah, um, money tends to exaggerate your traits. So the traits that you already exhibit, money will just exaggerate those. If you're a philanthropist, what are you going to do with more money? Give more away. If you're a drug addict, drug addict, what are you going to do with money? Give more away. If you provide, you know, great products and services, what are you going to do with money? Invest them into products and services. If you're a car collector, what are you going to do with money? Could buy more cars. So money will exaggerate your traits um, and money won't change you. Money will make you more of what you already are. It will amplify your existing qualities. Um, so if you're greedy and power hungry, you will use money for greed and power. If you are selfless and you're Mother Teresa, you will use money to go and give it to the developing world. And I don't know why people are so scared of change, but you know, there's a lot of people don't want to be rich and don't want to be successful because they're, they're worried that it will change them and their friends will say you've changed. If my friends don't say I've changed, that's a problem for me. It's not a problem for them to say, uh, you know, uh, you've changed. It's a problem to say if I haven't changed. Because if I haven't changed, I haven't grown, I haven't developed, I haven't learned. So, but money doesn't change you. What you learn and the books you read and the people you hang out with and the courses you go on and the mentors that you have and the experiences that you have in life, they change you. Money just exaggerates it all. If you've got a good life, money will make it better. If you've got a shit life, money will make it worse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely love that. I, um, I sent you a quote, Rob, about um, for a flower to grow, it needs both sun and rain. And I, the reason I love that quote so much is if you want to become successful, you have to be, deal with both positive and negative, especially when it comes to social media. And I know that you've done a few posts recently about criticism and how to deal with it. And I think this is a huge, like when we go back to the social media, people being scared of that criticism because they're not willing, they, they don't deal with criticism well. How have you dealt with criticism yourself? And is there any advice that you could give to people to A, not worry about it and B, kind of get over it? Yeah, I could talk a lot about this and I think it's an important subject. So um, most people perceive that I handle criticism, trolling, 
you know, online hate pretty well. And I can tell you this, the more sure I am about who I am, the better I handle criticism. The less sure I am about who I am, the more criticism rocks me. Because you can tell me something, but if I know who I am, I just know that you're wrong. But if I'm unsure of myself when you tell me something, like if you said something about my hair, Jay, at the moment, I don't know how to style it. I've only had hair a week. I am, I am a little bit self-conscious about this. Like you said, Rob, what's going on with your hair there? I mean, what are you saying? Um, so, but once I've got my style and I know who I am, you can say what you want about my hair. Um, but I, I've gone through this a lot because as I've grown in business, I have definitely become more sure of who I am as an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, a podcaster, someone in, you know, who builds, who does social media like you, Jay, I feel good about who I am. I'm clear on who I am. And you can pick me apart and it's not really going to bother me because I know who I am. But as I've become a workaholic over the years and I've maybe lost sight of who's Rob, like who's Rob when you take away his podcasts and his millions and his books and his world records and all of that, because this is what my therapist has been trying to dig into and find out who is Rob when you take all of that away. And that is a harder question for me to answer Jay. Um, and I'm, tr you know, definitely working on, on figuring that out because as an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, take a note of that one. <laughs> yeah. As an entrepreneur, you, you can attach your identity with all the things you've achieved, but they are external validation. And you and I shouldn't be friends because I like what you've achieved and you like what I've achieved that can draw us together, but we should be friends because we like who we are. But I have definitely got a bit lost behind all of my apparent achievements. Um, but so I have good self-worth there, but when you take all that away, who's Rob? And my, um, my therapist has been saying to me, look, Rob, you know, you're a good person. And I'll go, yeah, because you know, I do six free one-to-one -one calls a day and I help loads of entrepreneurs. She goes, no, 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 no. Stop saying because you do this, you're a good person. Even if you don't do that, Rob, you're worthy of love. Yeah, I am because I've done this and this and this. No, 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 no. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of who you are. So the more comfortable and confident and sure you are on who you are, the less criticism affects you. And, and I'll give you an example that, of the, the fact that criticism is never going to go away. Um, so over the years, I know you have Jay as well, and this is something we have in common I like about you. We do a lot of stuff for charity. And we'll use our, we'll do some like funky challenges. I know you did the box jump world record. Um, I did the public speaking world record, raised 120 grand doing the longest public speech, which I was really proud of. Um, and you would have thought that when you do something that's hard, like the, the, the height in Mount Everest on box jumps or the longest speech ever, that people will go, good on you for doing that and raising that money for charity. And I got a lot of criticism for the charity raises I've done. I've got a school friend. Um, whose son got a really bad brain injury and we needed to get him out of Zambia quick. Otherwise he was going to die. Um, and we all put some money in there. I put it on my Facebook page and I, I raised like 10 grand in five minutes or something. And we got it paid. My sister needed a kidney operation. Otherwise she was like looking like she wasn't going to make it. And I got si 16 grand in no time on, on my page, 20 odd grand for NHS. And, and a lot, at least a dozen people are like, Rob, you should have put your hand in your own pocket. It's wrong what you did. It's wrong to ask other people who've got this money. You should have paid for it yourself. You should pay for your sister's operation. You know, fuck you. Who are you? you? You think you're this and that. And I think, well, I've just done something really good that's going to save someone's life and I'm still getting criticized for it. And so what that taught me is no matter what you do, you're going to get criticized because I've, I've tested it. I have done the kindest things and get criticized for it. And what is it they say? No good deed goes unpunished. Um, and I think this is important to discuss because I think people have a naive perception, a delusional fantasy that when you do good work, the criticism will go away. No, it won't. When you do good work, you'll just get different critics. So do good work and know who you are. And then you will be more immune to criticism. But also know this criticism is required. Just like you said, Jay, it takes sun and rain to grow a plant. Well, it takes support and challenge to grow a human being. 
And one of my mentors, Dr. John Demartini, he says, maximum human growth lies on the border of support and challenge equally. So what he says is at times when you're down, you need support to lift you up. But at times when you're complacent, cocky, arrogant, and ahead of yourself, you will need humbleizing. And anyone who's married will know the wife is the best at humbleizing someone. Um, but just when you get complacent, lazy, cocky, selfish, bang, you will get hit like a juggernaut in the face, something that will humbleize you. Just at the point when you're about to break, when things are really hard, bang, you will get some support from someone and someone will come and lift you up because that is how we grow. But what we do is we perceive a delusional one-sided fantasy of only support, of only non-criticism. I didn't know this for about 10 years in business, uh, but I need everyone to know this. I used to think that the reward for solving a problem is that the problem goes away and I can relax and enjoy my life. I now know that the reward for solving a problem is a fucking bigger problem. That is your reward. So take your reward and just accept that that's the way life is. And I think if you accept that, you're not bothered by it. Like John, I was having a chat with John, John Demartini um, a couple of months ago and he said, when I set a goal, I think about all the criticism and challenge and difficulties that that goal will bring me, as well as all the opportunities and upside that goal will bring me. To me, that's wisdom. It's planning the criticism, the challenge and the difficulties and not just having a goal with a one-sided fantasy. So if you, if you are not immune to criticism, if you take rejection badly, if you suffer and you don't even put content out there because you're the scared of critics, you just have a, a one-sided delusion that the flower only needs sun. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely love that. And um, coming back to what you said about a quote, I, I've had this quote, I've said this quote for the last five years, and I said, you can, you can rescue an old lady from a burning building, but there'll be someone out there that still thinks you're a prick. Mm. Uh, and I've loved that. And when you're talking about your wife, um, everything I've ever achieved, whether it's a book, whether it's like a world record, she'll still whisper in my ear and say, you're still a prick. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. Absolutely love that. And it's because I very much follow stoicism and there was a, an old tale about Marcus Aurelius having one of his servants in his ear. They used to whisper every day saying, you're just a man. Um, and I love re reading the meditations of one of the most powerful men in the world that used to write about his own self-doubt uh, yeah. and frustrations and fears. And if one of the most powerful men in the world was writing a journal about you know, trying to sort life out and, and be humble, then there's hope for kind of any, but any, any person in the world there. Mm. Um, finally, Rob, what's next for you? And uh, you just mentioned books 17, 18 and 19. Um, can you let us know what those books are about? And, uh, of course we were planning a, a social media uh, event and then some little thing got in the way. So is there anything coming up in the near future uh, with regards to uh, another live event when all of this blows over? Yes, yeah, so I spoke to JP Sears and Nicole, both of them, Nicole Arbor, this last week, they were um, going to do that event with us. Um, and we're all up for doing it again. So as soon as we can do an event and there's no social distancing, I think, you know, I'm really excited about that social media summit and, and, and want to do it. Um, so watch this space for that. So book 17 is called Reinventing Yourself, which I co-wrote with Gerald Ratner who I think is the most qualified person in the world to talk about reinventing yourself, bearing in mind what he went through. He's also a very misunderstood and very lovely man and very wise. Um, I mean, he, he was turning over billions in the eighties. You know, he's got such a great story. So it was a real privilege to write the book with him and that's nearly done. Um, book 18 is called opportunity. Um, and that just needs my final edit of which I'm about a fifth of the way in, which of course is a call all about, forging opportunities knowing what opportunities to take what to say yes to what to say no to um how to seek them out how to seize them and then um the other book is called residual income um, i've written a book called money but i wanted to write a book about residual recurring income and people understand the difference between exchanging time for money and how to actually get recurring residual semi-passive income streams you know more of a, a like i guess a, a practical book and a less sort of conceptual book um, so I know 15, maybe 16 ways to create passive recurring or residual income, whether it's intellectual property franchises, you know, um, fan funding, whatever. And that book will detail that and, and how to build that. So 
that that's the work that I've got um, at the moment. And I, I'll, they'll all come out by January next year. The big launch will be Opportunity. That's in January with my publisher, but that, those will come out before then. What's next for me? Well, I'm 41 years old. And, um, you know, people always say that life starts at 40 or, you know, you go through a midlife crisis. And I always thought that's all a load of bollocks. Um, and now I've got to 41. I've definitely had a bit of a midlife crisis and life is definitely starting again for me. So um, this is going to surprise some of the people that follow me. But, you know, in my 20s, I was all, all about getting myself out of my hole, getting myself out of debt and turning my life around. In my late 20s and 30s, it was all, all, all about becoming a millionaire and then a decamillionaire and then turnover and profit and growth of companies and, you know, the, the biggest company in the UK for what we do and tick, 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 tick. The problem with that is it becomes very selfish. You don't mean to be selfish, but when you're looking at all of your own goals and achievements, that becomes very selfish. Uh, and I tweaked in my mid 30s, maybe when I launched money, I was what, 37, maybe when I launched money. I need to be um, equally selfless, if not more selfless. So I set up my foundation, the Rob Moore Foundation, and I've been giving away quite a lot of money. I'm giving away £3,000 to an entrepreneur who needs it to start their business um, just right now, and I'm going to figure out ways to grow that foundation. But I guess the epiphany I've had in my 40s, or, or just starting my 40s, is I want to be of more service. I want to be a better person. I don't want to be a more decorated entrepreneur with accolades. I want Jay to say, I like Rob for who he is. He's a good person, not, you know, Rob's written books and podcasts and everything else. That, and so that, so all my goals now are more about who I want to be, not just what I want to do. And, and the epiphany of that has come from because I maybe got a bit lost behind all my accolades in entrepreneurship and maybe just forgot who I was and took my eye off certain areas of my life. And um, so look, I have nearly 100 staff. We'll do 20 million, then 30 million, then 50 million. I've got hundreds of properties and we're developing one block, which is about 100 units, another one, which will be 35 to 50 units. All that stuff's going to carry on in the background with my staff and my partner. Um, so for me, I just want to make a deeper impact across the planet. I want to be able to give more, whether that's one-to-one. -one, I do loads of one-to-one -one calls for stars. That works really well. Um, I, I, in my book, Life Leverage, I got all these acronyms. KRAs for key result areas, KLAs for key life areas, IGTs for income generating tasks, KPIs. But my new one is DNTs, which is do nice things. Um, and, and every day I try and do a few nice things. I've sent you a couple of random, boy, you probably think, what's Rob on? I've sent you a couple of random voice notes. I'm <laughs> going, Jay, love you. And you're probably like, okay, I want some of that coffee that he's on. Jay, it's funny you say that because um, I have a thing. If, when I remember somebody random, I have to reach out to them. Yeah, like it might be one of my old you know, one of my old staff I haven't seen for two years. And the minute they come into my head, I have to message them. Yeah, because else, else I forget. Um, and I, I usually just say something random like you. So I, I totally get them when you when I when I get them. So ah, something's popped up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, they don't a message from someone to just to say I'm thinking about you. That can have a profound difference. Yeah, definitely. And, and if anyone here has got an audience, you know, like we have, it's easy to think in terms of hundreds of thousands of followers or millions of followers. But actually, whilst your content for the masses is great, the way you make a real impact is commenting to an individual or applying to a, a, per, a personal message or picking up the phone and phoning them and speaking to them for 10 minutes. You make a real impact one to one, one person at a time, which is the opposite of life leverage and the opposite of scale. Um, but I've been writing... I've been um, spending a lot more of my time and focus trying to do more of that, Jay. Um, and I'm in a good place with that at the moment. And hopefully that makes me feel more fulfilled from within rather than needing the external validation. Yeah. And I'll tell you that. Have you, have you ever read a book called Chicken Soup for the Soul by Jack yeah. Canfield? Yeah, it's brilliant. So there's a, obviously, there's a parable in there about a guy throwing starfish back into the sea. And a guy, there's a guy comes up to him and said, "What are you doing? There's thousands of starfish in the sea. You won't make a difference." And then the guy looks at him, picks up a starfish, throws it back in the sea, and goes, "Well, it made a difference to that one." Mm. And that's such a powerful quote, and that kind of solidifies what you're talking about. You can't help everyone, but you can help someone. And that, that, and that's 
to me what it's all about, whether that's a voice note, whether that's a quick message, whether that is just taking a bit of time out to just stop, smell the flowers and go, you know, who needs my help right now? And yeah. it makes a massive, massive difference to that person, but also to yourself. So yeah, absolutely love that. So um, Rob, where's, the, I know you're everywhere, same as me, but where, where would you want to guide people to first who wants to kind of get in touch with you or find out a bit more about what it is that you do? I think for content, go to my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur. I think to get in touch with me, because I read all my private messages, um, I do have a few little rules. Like if you're a twat, I, I um, reserve the right not to reply. Um, but, you know, because some people are a bit entitled with when they approach you. But 90% of people who message out to me, no matter how much the volume is, I'll reply to. Probably best to private message me on Facebook. Find me on my Facebook page. And that's, it's just called Rob Moore Progressive. Just search my name, Rob Moore, anywhere you'll find it. Rob, I just want to say thank you ever so much for coming on the Train One podcast and a, and a massive shout out uh, and appreciation. I love everything that you do. It does inspire the fuck out of me, keeps me on my toes uh, and keeps me focused too. So I just want to say a massive thank you for that. And the feelings are mutual, Jay. Thank you ever so much. Cheers. Cheers.